0: Psalm 18 and verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved From my enemies. And then just quickly into the New Testament to Romans chapter 11, where we see that this same word, deliverer, is used of God in the 26th verse, quoting here from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah chapter 59. And thus all Israel will be saved, writes the Apostle Paul, speaking about that future restoration of the nation of Israel, prophetically. Just as it is written, he says, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Tonight we are looking at this theme, the Lord, our deliverer. This is not a very difficult idea, is it? In fact, it's a very simple one. The word deliverer in the Hebrew comes from a verb in the Hebrew which means to escape or to effect or to provide release for something or someone. And here the Greek word deliverer in the New Testament comes from a verb that means to draw to oneself or to rescue someone. Now as you see This is a quotation from the Old Testament. And if you look at the Old Testament reference in Isaiah, you find instead of deliverer there, the Hebrew word is redeemer. So there's a close association between the titles deliverer and redeemer. When we think of the word redeemer in the Old Testament sense, we think of the kinsman redeemer that near relative who had certain responsibilities to fulfill under the Old Testament economy or order of things. A kinsman redeemer might be responsible to save the property of a near relative of his, that is, to deliver that property, to rescue it and bring it back into the family. Or he might be responsible to take his brother's wife, If his brother had died, and if she were childless, so that his brother might have seed, and she and he, though dead, would be delivered from barrenness. So a kinsman redeemer had certain responsibilities to deliver in the Old Testament. Of course, in the New Testament, the word has, this basic picture has to do with the slave market. Where a redeemer or a deliverer would purchase a slave on the market, take him out of the slave market, and set him free, and so deliver him from bondage. So, all of those pictures and ideas are involved as we think of the Lord our deliverer. We admire those, don't we, who deliver others from peril or danger. Now, why is that? Because they place their own lives, their own well-being, in jeopardy, in order to deliver another person, to provide release, to provide escape for them. Uh, we, most of us, would remember the incident of little Jessica McClure down in Texas, who fell into that well a couple of years ago, and little Jessica was trapped there. She was doomed. There was no way that she could escape it on her own. But there were some very brave, courageous, and strong people in that community who began to dig. And the whole nation watched on television as they dug down into the ground a parallel shaft and then dug across to where she was in the well and ultimately, through much effort, delivered little Jessica. And the whole nation wept as on live television they showed her coming up out of that hole where she had been trapped and doomed. And we all rejoiced in the deliverance of this little girl. And we admired those brave people, those heroes, who delivered her from that situation. Well, that's the idea tonight we're looking at as we think of the Lord, our Deliverer. The Bible rightly calls Him our Deliverer. For we, too, were without hope. We, too, were doomed until our Redeemer Our Deliverer came and rescued us. And so we think of this theme, the Lord, our Deliverer. I'd like for us to think tonight in some of the ways in which this is true, that the Lord is our Deliverer. We'll not be able to cover all of them, but some of them at least. In the first place, would you turn with me to Colossians, the first chapter. And we see that the Lord is our Deliverer, in that he has delivered us from the power of darkness. In Colossians chapter 1, in verse 12, the Apostle says, "...giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness... And transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We dare never lose sight of the fact that there are two kingdoms operating right now in this world in which we live. There is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's beloved Son. It's not fully revealed as it shall be one day, but now in a mysterious way, a secret way, it is working in the hearts of people. It's very, very real. And then on the other hand, there is the kingdom of darkness, whose prince is the prince of the power of the air. It is the kingdom of evil. It is very real, just as real as the other kingdom, the kingdom of light. The wonderful truth is that the Lord, our Deliverer, has delivered us from the power of darkness, we who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is the prince of darkness. He does not present himself that way. He masquerades as an angel of light in many cases, says the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. Particularly does he masquerade as an angel of light when he masquerades in a religious facade, Or a mode of operation. The devil loves religion. He loves religion that excludes the Lord Jesus Christ. Any other religion he is very pleased with because it placates man. It anesthetizes man to a certain extent as to his true condition. And so he deceives mankind by religion... And he comes across as an angel of good, as an angel of light. While all the time, behind all of that religious fervor and apparent good, there is darkness that is working. He is a very, very clever angel and being. We who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ have been delivered from this evil being. For that moment that we were saved by the grace of God, when we called out upon the Lord to save us, at that instant a transfer occurred for us. And we were brought out of that realm of darkness, that domain of the evil one, and we were made a part of the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We shared at that moment in the, the realm of light not darkness. I told you this morning that I would share an incident that comes out of our own congregation that graphically illustrates this. We have a a wife and mother who attends our church. Uh, Some of you have heard me tell this story, so bear with me as I repeat it. Many of you have not heard it. Uh, Before she was married, uh, during her later adolescence, she came under conviction of her sin, she had been involved in, uh, in drugs. She had been involved in, a certain sense with occultism, and it was present in her family. And she desired to be delivered from all of this darkness in which she had been raised and in which she was living. And there came a night when she took a Bible. God just led her to the Bible. And she began to read it, and she became aware of the fact that what she needed to do was to call out upon the Lord to be saved. She was sitting in a room all by herself, and she said that as she became aware of what she needed to do, the light bulbs in the room dimmed, and the room became darker than it was before. You say, well, that was just happening in her mind. It may have been in her perception, but it was very, very real. And she heard voices speaking to her, telling her what they would do to her if she called out upon the Lord. And there were sounds of barking and snarling and growling, just filling her ears in the midst of this darkened room. And then... From within her heart came this cry to God, Oh God, help me! Save me! And she said, In that instant the room flashed with brightness of light, and immediately the darkness was gone and the voices were all silent. Now I know that there are some who hear things like that, and they say, That is all psychological, that's all pretend, and... Only people on drugs have experiences like that. I feel sorry for people who say those kinds of things, for they're ignorant of what the Bible teaches, or they overlook what the Bible teaches regarding the power of darkness. My friend, it is as real as it can be. Last week in the Bulletin, I think it was then, I recommended to you two books by uh, Peretti. This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. If you do not have one of those, you need to get one or a copy of each of them, actually, and read them. Peretti is able, in his fiction, in his novel, to teach us a great deal regarding the power of darkness and how to experience victory, how to pierce the darkness. There will be no book that will ever stimulate you to prayer any more than that than those two books, I'll guarantee you. When we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, though we may not have had the experience of this lady, we nonetheless went through a transferal from darkness to light. To me, it is a very sad thing that there are are pastors today who are of our persuasion, our evangelical Bible teaching, who deny the realities of... Of Satan's power from good seminaries in our land, but who say that all of this is just for the first century, I fear that they are being deceived and that one day they will have a rude awakening, particularly as the age gets more dark. But how wonderful it is that the Lord is our deliverer and we, by his grace, we have trusted Christ, have been delivered from that and are no longer a part of, we're no longer citizens in, that realm of darkness and evil that we once belonged to. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. Now turn, please, to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. The Apostle speaks to these Galatians, "'Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.'" who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. He has delivered us in that he has delivered us from the present evil age. The word age here refers to an era or a period of indefinite duration which is viewed in relation to all that takes place in it. In other words, it is a period of time that is characterized by certain things or in a certain way. Here the Apostle calls it this present evil time or age. Not only have we been delivered from sin and from the realm of Satan... But God has delivered us out of the present age in which we are still living. We are members of the coming age, not the present age. God allows us still to live in this present evil world, that we might live soberly and righteously and godly in Christ Jesus, as a testimony to proclaim the grace of God. He still has us here. We don't belong to this age anymore. We did one time. We were characterized just as the way the people who are a part of the age still are characterized tonight. We belong to the now generation, but no longer. We belong to the future age. What a wonderful thing that is. The word age here is very close in thought to the word world in the New Testament. But it's a different original word. The the word world comes from the word cosmos. And obviously you see the English word cosmos. That's the word that John likes to use, especially, when he tells us, as he does in 1 John 2.17, and the world is passing away. The cosmos, the order of things that now exists. That system of evil that is behind the flesh and blood that we deal with. He says it is even now passing away. He was writing in about 95 AD when he said that. Even at that time, because of what Christ had done 60 or so years earlier on the cross and the tomb, the world was passing away. It still is today. It doesn't mean that it's over. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have any, any uh, power yet, that there's not some things it's going to do in the future, but that system is in the process of passing away. Now The picture there really is a, a, is a rather nasty one because it refers to a body that is decaying, rotting. He says the, the world system, the cosmos around us, is right now rotting away. It is it is filled with death and decay. It is putrid. It it is it smells. It's something like Ludafisk. <laughs> That's the cosmos. He says it's passing away. And so he says, a couple of verses earlier, Do not love the world. Don't love that which is passing away, which is rotting, which is a stench in God's universe. He says, you've been delivered from all of that. So don't love it. God has delivered us from this present evil age and from the world that is passing away. He has made us a part of the world that is coming. Well, let's go on. Hebrews chapter 2. Here's another way in which he's delivered us. I think John has given me a fresh sore throat. throat) Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself, that's the son, likewise also partook of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The Lord is our deliverer in that he has delivered us from the fear of death. He came into the world in true humanity. That's the Christmas story, isn't it? And he came so that he might deliver flesh and blood like you and me from the fear of death. That is Satan's great tool that he uses to coerce and manipulate people and to hold them in slavery to evil. The fear of death. But we who have trusted Christ have been delivered from the fear of death. Now that doesn't mean that we're excited about going through the process of dying. I don't know about you, but I'm not very excited about that, that possibility. It doesn't mean that uh, when we become ill, we're not going to go to the doctor, or we're not going to take medication, or have even some heroic measures taken, perhaps, to save us from death. Because none of us looks forward to the experience of dying, but the point is... We're no longer afraid of the result of it. For we know that when we pass through that experience, we know what's on the other side. And even as we pass through it, the shepherd is with us. This was so graphically illustrated several years ago, in fact 20 years ago I suppose now, when a fellow in a church where I was working at the time out in Washington named Merrill Womack, shared his testimony. In about 1962 or 3, something like that, Merrill was flying his private plane from uh, Northern California back to Spokane to be with his family for Thanksgiving. And as he flew into Oregon, he got uh, into a situation he was not comfortable with, and so he landed at a very small strip and waited out the storm and uh, had the plane filled up with gas, and decided that the storm had broken up enough. He wanted to get home the next day for Thanksgiving, and so uh, he decided to take off. And uh, rather than take off his jacket as he did almost every time he flew, this time he left his flight jacket on. Got in the plane, started the two motors, and uh, took off. But no sooner had he just cleared the trees than both engines quit, and he knew that all that he could do was just pick a couple of trees and try to go between them, and that's what he did. And as he went through those trees, of course, the gas tanks exploded in flames, the whole plane burst into a ball of flame, and the plane landed in snow that was several feet deep there in the mountains of Oregon. With adrenaline strength, undoubtedly, he reached down and he tore his seatbelt in two with his bare hands and rolled out the window of the plane that had been knocked open out of the cockpit and into the snow, putting out the fire that had consumed his body. And then he began to, to crawl through the snow toward the road. Well, the two men at the airport had seen his plane go down, so they jumped in their truck and they went around the road trying to figure out about where the plane was. And it wasn't long before they found Merrill struggling through the snow in shock, burned over almost 100% of his body, except where his jacket had been on. And they had called an ambulance and they cared for him as best they could until the ambulance got there. And uh, Merrill sang hymns all the way to the hospital, Never did go unconscious until he got to the hospital and was under the care of the doctors and was sedated. Well, the the amazing part of the story is that he lived through that. And there was enough skin protected by that jacket that he had coincidentally left on that they were able to graft over the burns. And if you've ever seen Marilyn concert, uh, he used to sing around the country quite a bit. He uh, he's terribly disfigured, a very handsome and, to his own admission, a proud man. Up to that point, he uh, well, if you saw a picture of him in the hospital, which you can see if you get his book, I think it's called uh, "Tried by Fire" or "Trial of Fire," something like that. His head was terribly swelled; it looked like a burned marshmallow there on the hospital pillow. It's black. And the doctors uh, have done an amazing work restoring him. But while he was there in the hospital and after he was sedated, uh, of course his family came. And during that time, several days later, he, he came to a crisis and was dying. And he saw himself standing on a hilltop. And before him was a green, beautiful, lush meadow. And there was a stream flowing. And on the other side of the stream, he saw what looked like a door. And there was a a bright light shining from that door. And he felt drawn in that direction. He he felt like he wanted to go there. And, And at the stream, he saw what looked like a boat with someone there to take him across the river. And he had the feeling that all he would have to do was just walk toward that boat and be taken. And yet, at the very same time, he heard in his mind his voice being called, Meryl. We love you, Merrill," And it was his wife speaking to him. And at that point, he was drawn back from what might be called a near death experience and of course he didn't take the step and walk toward the boat and toward the light <clears throat> but he said and he says this in his testimony i was not afraid i was not afraid i knew that the lord was waiting for me and had i gone on that i would be with him i want to tell you something jesus delivers us from the fear of death Now, if the Lord tarries, I don't know how death is going to come to me, or when, nor do you. It may be with a heart attack, and suddenly we're gone. Or it may be through a disease, with long months of pain. Maybe it'll be in a car accident, or or some other means. But the fact is, whether it's a very brief time or a protracted time, God gives grace for that. Ron Tunnell went home to be with the Lord just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, in the latter part of his suffering, it became very clear that he was going to die. The doctor had told him that, had told Joyce that, and they had mentally accepted it, of course, to the best you can. But he began to realize, and God gave him a grace for that time. And as he began to be just days away from his going to be with Christ, he sort of withdrew. Joy shared with me, and I don't think she would mind my sharing it with you, that she wondered if he was depressed or if he was afraid. And so he asked, she asked the nurse about it, a nurse who had cared for a lot of cancer patients. And the nurse said no, that she didn't feel that that was the problem, but that rather he was accepting the fact that he was going to die. And this was his way of withdrawing from his loved ones and preparing himself for that experience. But he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid. And God gave him grace and prepared him for that. But that's what happens in protracted illness. Well, God delivers us from the fear of death. No longer are we held enslaved by Satan to the fear of death. God has delivered us. How wonderful to have the Lord as a deliverer. Now, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and other writers have recorded numerous instances, even of non-Christians, who have had near-death experiences, and often they sense being drawn through a tunnel Or being drawn toward a light, and they say they felt no fear, that they were accepted by this being for whatever they were, and so on. How do we explain that with non-Christians, with unsaved people? They come back not being afraid to die. Well, I don't know all the answers to that, but I would suggest this, that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light and would love to deceive a person in a near-death experience that he's okay, that he's accepted just the way he is in his unbelief or in his atheism or his evil, and that he need not be afraid of death. My friend, that is a lie. A person outside of Jesus Christ must surely fear death because death leads that person Eternal hell. So, how like Satan to transform himself into an angel of light at that moment for the unsaved person, that moment of near death experience, to deceive, to make him or her think that everything's okay just the way you are. But for the Christian, it's true. For the Christian, death has been disarmed and we've been delivered. Well, let me just take time to look at one more. There are several more we could look at, but let's look tonight at 1 Thessalonians 1 9 in closing. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 1 9 and 10. The Apostle says, For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, you Thessalonians. And how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, that may very well mean hell. Certainly, uh, as it would embrace that thought, it's true. We have been already transferred from death to life. We've already passed over from condemnation to salvation. And God has delivered us from hell. Praise the Lord. But I believe there's a more particular emphasis in this verse because uh, of the, the context of 1 Thessalonians. Every chapter ends with some thought about the coming of Christ. I believe that he's talking here about that particular aspect of God's wrath that we call the tribulation. I believe what he's saying here is that God delivers us from the wrath that will be poured out upon the world at the end of this age, during the seven years of the tribulation that will come upon the earth. This is no guarantee that we will be delivered from suffering, Or from persecution, uh, because we will experience suffering. And there may be persecution that will come upon us ever so more at the end of the age. But what it says here is that we are delivered from the wrath to come. I believe this is one verse that supports the position of what is called the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. That by the grace of God... He is going to come and catch out, catch away, seize his people and deliver us from that time of wrath that will be poured out upon mankind, unbelieving mankind in the tribulation period. And I want to say to you that if you're not reading your newspapers with a Bible in one hand these days, you're asleep at the switch. If you haven't read what's happened in Europe in the last few weeks, and the meeting of the most popular man in the world with the Pope of Rome in the last week, if you haven't read about the uniting of Europe, and the currency that's already printed for use beginning in 1992, so that Europe, the the ten nations of the the, uh, common market, will economically be united in that year. And who knows, with the speed of things that are happening now, maybe it's going to be more than those ten nations. It may embrace some of the more progressive eastern bloc countries. Friend, I want to tell you, all of this is very significant in prophecy. It has made me kind of excited about maybe preaching a, a series of messages from Daniel after the first of the year, because, because that deals so much Not only with history, but with current events. Well, I believe that what we're seeing is the preparation for the end times. We must be alert to the fact that our Lord is coming. And may come at any moment. God is giving us indications. I hesitate to use the word signs, because there are no biblical signs that must occur before the rapture. But God is giving us signals that are very plain, it seems to me, that the coming of Christ may very well be at hand. And we must be awake and not sleep in these critical days and use the opportunities that God gives to us. How wonderful that the Lord is our Deliverer. We are living in a day of rapid apostasy and falling away in, in Christendom. Uh, You can hear about it tonight on the 10 o'clock news if you want to turn in. I, I can almost guarantee you there's going to be a story, probably the first story, is going to help illustrate the apostasy of our day. It is the falling away from the gospel of Jesus Christ to social and political issues that are even tied together with Marxist ideology. I wish we had more time to talk about that, maybe another occasion. What I'm saying is, let's be alert and awake. And look for the Lord, our Deliverer. And recognize that as we go to bed tonight, He may come tonight. And as we get up in the morning, it could be today. And every day, that is true. And one day, we will see Him face to face. Let's pray. If the Lord should come, are you ready? If tonight the trumpet would sound and the shout would be given and the dead in Christ would rise first, and we who are alive and remain should be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds, in the air, are you ready? The apostle warns us not to allow ourselves to fall asleep in the darkness, but to be awake as the sons of light. O oh Lord, I pray that you would awaken us from from carelessness with the world and compromise in our lifestyle. Keep us clean in this evil and dirty age. I pray that we will redeem the time making the most of our opportunities. Lord, I pray that when you come, whether it's at 7.15 or tomorrow, but at that time when you do come, that we will be among those looking for you and ready to go but also those who are busy occupying doing your work until you do appear Lord in a day when there are a lot of winds blowing I pray that you will keep us right and straight and on target in a day when there are many pressures against the godly I pray that you will give us courage and faith and strength to be strong and to follow through. Thank you for hearing us and for working to answer this prayer for us individually and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I realize that uh, we've only got a couple of minutes before we're supposed to be gone, but I would like to take time to sing one verse of number 270. It's one of those hymns that uh, I think we enjoy singing. We sang it a couple of weeks ago. It uh, is Swedish, so that should uh, please about half of you. I'm sorry to you Norwegians. Oh, let your soul now be filled with gladness. Your heart redeemed. Rejoice indeed. Oh, may the thought banish all your sadness that in his blood you have been freed it is delivered. That God's unfailing love is yours, that you, the only Son, were given, that by his death he has opened heaven, that you are ransomed as you are. If you seem empty of any feeling, rejoice, you are his ransomed bride. If those you cherish seem not to love you and dark assails from every side, still yours the promise, come what may, in loss and triumph and laughter crying in want, riches, in living or dying, that you are purchased as you are. Let's stand and sing verse 3, 270. It is a good, every good transcending that Christ has died for you and me. It is a gladness that has no ending, There in God's wondrous love to see, Praise be to you, O spotless Lamb, Who through the desert my soul is leading, To that fair city of joy exceeding, For which you bought me as I am. And let us go forth rejoicing in the Lord our Deliverer. Good night and God bless you.